The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's Always great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first episode, I hope you find a voice here of reform, of honesty, of contrition. Muslim who believes that we have a lot of time to make up, we have a lot of reform, a lot of work to do to roll up our sleeves and be truly the only ones that can defeat the enemy of the free world, which is Islamism and the Islamist movements that have not only decimated many Muslim countries, but are seeking to recreate a caliphate, to recreate and reinvigorate, if you will, the organization of Islamic cooperation. Every week, week to week, this former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, this American patriot, brings you a view of the world through the lens of an American Muslim who's sick and tired of the Islamists leading our community. I'm sick and tired of the apologetics, the victimization, the racialization of Muslims and Islam as we know it. It's time to call that out. It's time for us Muslims to recognize that we have a lot of work to do, And we can no longer sit idly silent as the radicals continue to speak for us. And the barometer should not be violence or nonviolence. That's the lowest bar for humanity. But the barometer should be for freedom versus theocracy. To understand that there is a cause and effect between the theocrats, between platforms of Islamic parties and radicalization. So this week, there have been a couple major opportunities to dissect and go into this issue. There seems to be a reawakening of the Islamist movements. Now, they're coming up with some new memes, if you will, trying to say that this is their first foray into politics as they get their own 
and now they're starting to form more packs and others. And I wanted to take this time this week to shed some light on some of these Islamist forays, if you will. And, you know, this week there was an op-ed in the Washington Post that was republished across many medias, as uh, some of the Post columns do. And this was written by an Aliyah Salem, or Salem, as she may pronounce it. Um, Aliyah is a graduate of this op-ed project, uh, was a previous head of the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Dallas-Fort Worth, and wrote a column called, It's Time for Muslim Americans to Do Politics as Other Minorities Do. And you read this and you wonder, how many Americans actually understand what this woman is saying? How many Americans actually understand that this little column is basically an open public testament to the project of Islamist public action? The platform, if you will, the motivation for the creation of a party of Muslims. Now, what am I talking about? Uh, This is not conspiratorial. Read what she wrote in our national newspapers. She said, one thing I can say about being Muslim American, we're good at building mosques. I've visited mosques of every shape and size, sometimes multi-million dollar facilities, well-executed fundraising drives and made it possible to build them. In parts of the country, they're not just our houses, they double as cultural hubs. If Muslim Americans want politicians to take us seriously as a constituency, if we want policy outcomes that reflect our priorities and then end to the scapegoating and harassment, we need to start building national political capital the way other minority and immigrant groups do. There it is. She describes our faith community not as diverse ideological members from left to right, not as many parties, but as one mind, a constituency with policy outcomes that we share as Muslims, with priorities that we share as Muslims, that we are all scapegoated, we are all harassed, we are all victims, that being Muslim is a race. That's Islamism. That's what Islamism is. And until we can marginalize these ideas, we're not going to win this. And I'm sorry, uh, us anti-Islamists, yes, our Muslim reform movement is growing We have many leaders with the courage to fight these Islamists. But the Islamists are still dominating the mainstream media and rolling out their ideas as if it's about minority politics. She said, Aliyah Salam, by the way, someone who after the radical ISIS attacks upon the Draw Muhammad cartoon event, in repeated interviews focused on Muslim victimization, focused on the fact that free speech gone amok needs to be marginalized socially. She never claimed that she wanted the liberty taken away of drawing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, but I defy you to find one interview she did locally and even on some foreign media, Pakistani media, I saw her interviewed in which she basically said, 
that society and culture needs to invoke its own marginalization of offensive ideas. So, tiptoeing on that line of invocation of blasphemy laws. And the most important thing to me in those interviews was never heard her mention the name of Elton Simpson, the Muslim radical, radicalized here in Phoenix, Arizona, but then goes on to commit a vicious act of militant Islamism and for years was put forth as a victim by her colleague running care here in Phoenix, Arizona. So this woman never identified that their organization plays a role in radicalizing Muslims who are then obsessed with being victims, obsessed with hating the rest of America that they believe hates Muslims. So they actually stir the pot of this vicious cycle of hatred. They say that if we, she said, that when we Muslims want to build an Islamic center, we come together. Activists bring together Muslim immigrants. We often work successfully in the Dallas area. The Muslim American political group, Good Citizen Committee, had exerted its influence in recent local elections through its voter registration and mobilization efforts. She said, we need a nationwide political strategy apparatus. We're a small percentage of the electorate. But we have the wherewithal to make this happen. She then compared the fact that Arab American, Muslim American PACs invested only five hundred thousands on candidates, five hundred thousand dollars, while eighteen million was invested by Jewish American PACs. Again, feeding into the subtle subliminal anti Semitism there. And this is not all. This month also there is an organization by the name of Jetpack which announced its release on the scene. Based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, this organization ran run by Nadim Mazin, who also has deep ties to the Council on American Islamic Relations, has set as a goal to get more Muslims elected to city, state, and federal offices. The group which stands for the acronym Justice Education Technology Policy Advocacy Center. What more deceptive name do you want? If you believe in Islamism, call yourself the Akhwan of America, <laughs> the Muslim Brotherhood of America. Call yourself the Islamic Movement of America. Or as that North Carolina organization did 10 years ago, the Muslim, the American Muslim Political Party as it called itself, with deep ties into political Islamic groups. Now, these groups claim they're the first this week in their media. They were covered on Reuters, AP, Washington Post, New York Times, as the Muslim Americans coming of age. And you see them push forth names like Linda Sarsour, the radical Sharia advocate who has sympathized with the treatment of women in Saudi Arabia, saying that Americans should emulate their maternity leave that they get there, or that if Americans understood interest-free banking, 
they would want and ask and pray for Sharia and all this other nonsense that this Islamist who is far from any women's rights advocate has said. But they they have now claimed that they're now coming of age and again sort of as that little that that patronizing little group the the left seems to pet pat on our back. Oh, the Muslims are coming of age. Well, go back and look at the Muslim American society. The Muslim American society is as the Chicago Tribune had the courage in 2004 to discuss as the secret network of the Muslim Brotherhood in America with over 34 chapters at the time had done fundraising for Hamas through what later became known as one of the networks of the Muslim Brotherhood fundraising in the Holy Land Foundation trial of 2008. But that network showed that they also had deep political connections. The head of the Muslim American Society bragged in 2008 that he, because of his ability to mobilize the Muslim vote, Muhammad Majid in Northern Virginia, who later became the head of the Islamic Society of North America, another Muslim Brotherhood legacy group, bragged that, that even though they were only 1-2% to 2% of the population, because they all voted for the Democrat, Senator Webb, can thank his victory to the Muslim community. And that's just one example of many in which the Muslim activists with their with their get out the vote campaigns, with their moves to push behind what I feel are politically radical individuals like Keith Ellison, Andre Carson, the two current Muslim members of Congress that they have already been pushing the envelope and been quite active, if not more so than most minority communities of that number of 1% to 2%. But make no mistake, the importance of this discussion to you and all you supporters and reformers out there is that the central cancer cell, the nuclear energy of political Islam, comes from the belief that Muslims should collectivize as one, as a political movement, as a party, and as advocates for policy. And in this op-ed, the summit of her logic of Alia Salem is she says that we will come into our own when we vote as a block vote. A block vote, she mentions. That is not Islamic. That is not diverse. That is what the Muslim Brotherhood says in their party apparatus in Egypt. That is what the Khomeinists say in their party apparatus of the theocrats in Iran. That is a Sharia party. Now, many Muslims who are ignorant or reject Sharia and government, but yet maybe collectivists from Muslim identity will repel at that and say, oh, this is conspiracy theories and nothing to do with Sharia. Well, when the mosques are used to 
invigorate political activism. And when you ask them what type of system they would have if Muslims were a majority and how they run their mosques, how they run their organizations internally, it's run by fatwas. It's run by Islamic religious rulings. Their policy rulings are in synergy and harmony with their fatwas and their sharia interpretations, whether it's 1% or 99%. No, nobody's saying they're trying to take over America. That's nonsense. But what they're trying to do with influence with their political party, their Islamist influence, is influence the, the, the strongest government in the world, the only superpower, the United States, influence its domestic policy and global policy in Muslim-majority countries at the OIC in a way that is sympathetic to Islamist groups. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It is always great to be with you. Thank you for giving me some of your time. I hope you find here week to week a podcast that gives you some education, some insight, a light in a darkness that you just have not seen before, that sheds light on some of the activities and the behaviors and explains things in a way that you begin to understand some clarity into the behaviors of some of the Muslims domestically and abroad. And I hope that as you get to begin to understand what political Islam is, what Islamism is, you will then also understand how to treat this cancer, how to help me reform it, build a cohort, an army of reformers and supporters out there that can begin to expose the ideologies, treat the ideologies, replace it with liberty, and make the world and our country a safer place. We were talking about Ali Asalam's little eight, nine hundred word testimony of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. She said in the Washington Post, this young previous head of the Council on American Islamic Relations said this week, we're simply trying to, as she quoted a another Mr. Mangla, not Mengala, <laughs> Mangla. We're simply trying to live unsensational lives serving as doctors, engineers, lawyers, teachers, artists, and journalists. Our citizenship isn't contingent on how useful we are in the war on terror. If we want this dynamic to change, she said, we can't just invade against President Trump's hostility or wait for sympathetic politicians to press our case. We must build mechanisms for mobilizing as a voting bloc. 
Ding, 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 ding. That's the Muslim Brotherhood. That's the Muslim Brotherhood verbiage, a voting block. We need to develop institutions like Emily's List, she said, the fundraising organization that promotes Democratic women candidates. J Street and APAC, Jewish American advocacy groups that lobby on Israel policy, and Latino Victory Fund, a political action committee that backs Latinos running for office. What more clarity do you need than Miss Salem's call for the balkanization of American politics, the racialization of Islam and Muslim and American politics, and the deep denial? She says that any call for American Muslims to be involved in the war on terror is a dismissal of us being unuseful. How absurd. This is the legacy that she wants to leave. Islamists are deceiving and exploiting and monopolizing, oppressing our community because they're telling our youth that our identity is all about collective tribal politics. The tribe votes together, not individuals, not human beings that think singly, that have critical thinking, that are evolving in the 21st century. No, tribal human beings in the 7th or 8th century vote together as a block. And to compare us with this false moral equivalency to other groups, be it Jewish American activists or others, is a deceptive, deceptive, propagandistic, false narrative. Because those groups, first of all, came through an evolution of Western enlightenment and reform and defeat of theocracy to where the collective narrative was about immigration and a time in which, yes, there were significant episodes in American history, be it the placement of Japanese in camps and the absurd defense of that in the Supreme Court's Karamatsu decision, the treatment of Jewish Americans as they came through Ellis Island, the inability, the, the, the paralysis of America doing anything against the Holocaust and against Hitler until they finally entered World War II after being attacked by the Japanese. Yes, America has history that has moved a certain racialization of political activity, and hopefully now we're beginning to correct some of that. The civil rights movement in the 60s did a lot to do that. But any attempt by the Islamists who bring with them the baggage, the agenda of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is about the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt that has a specific platform of misogyny, paternalism, blasphemy laws, apostasy laws, hadood punishments that, that strike people, cut their limbs off, that believes that the Sharia of the black and white Salafi jihadi interpretation of the Quran and the Hadith is the only law for the land of Egypt. The same thing for Jamaat Islamiyya in Pakistan, the Khomeinis of Iran. These Islamic movements are what Islamic identity movements are all about today. It is ahistoric for a Texan like Alia Salam 
to deceive Americans into thinking that we are no different than any other identity group. First of all, I'll tell you, you cannot reform Islam through a collectivist identity lens. Secondly, it is ahistorical and deceptive to say that Muslims are at the same point in history that the Jews, Mexicans, uh, and, and Hispanics, and others that come to this country for freedom and liberty, the Cuban-American community and, and, and so many others that come here for freedom, that we are somehow at that same time in history. We are coming, many of us, from lands like my parents, my parents did from Syria that has been under the boots of oppression for 50 years and before that has a long history of Ottoman oppression. And before that, yes, there was a golden age of Islam and Arab thinking for hundreds of years that did have a lot of critical thinking, but that died off for the last six to 700 years and we need a new era of reform of ishtihad. Ishtihad is the Arabic word for critical thinking in light of modern day. But this collectivization mantra of the Muslim Brotherhood is now being pushed through mainstream media as part of the American fabric. Yes, they have the free speech to do it, but don't be deceived that this is about Americanism. If it was about Americanism, she wouldn't be rejecting the role that we should lead in reforming against the root causes of terror. She claims that they rejected the Orlando massacre, which they wrote in a simple statement, but it takes no ownership of the deep reforms against homophobia and other hateful ideologies of Salafi Wahhabism and Salafi Jihadism that are the fulcrum, the central cancer cells of these global radical ideas. We have a laboratory, we have an opportunity to do things in America that we can't do anywhere else. And these groups, be it Alia Salam and her Council on American Islamist Relations, the Brotherhood Legacy Groups, or this new jetpack that's trying to push Islamists into our face, these are simply facades to influence, control, and marginalize anti-Islamist American policy so that we can have a pro-Islamist American policy. As Islamists get closer to the center of power access in America, they can then influence policy to do things like, oh, let me think in the last eight years, the Iran deal, which the NIAC, the North American, uh, uh, the uh, National Iranian American Council, which is thought to be an Iranian right-hand lobby of the Khomeinists, influenced. Or maybe we can connect the Israeli-Palestinian crisis to solution of global terror, this linkage, which has become the Arabist mantra, which is complete nonsense. And you see groups like CARE, which came out of the Palestinian, Islamic Palestinian, uh, Islamic American Palestinian Committee that evolved into care to hijack the Muslim community for its own anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic, pro-Palestinian causes. 
It is time for you, please, any Americans, any of those, any of you who understand what this is to remove the veneer that this has to do with American freedom, to expose that the Islamists are getting active in political activity in order to suffocate the voices of diversity, of critical thinking within our mosques, within our faith communities, and within our organizations. To marginalize their responsibility to reform against the ideas that are rooted in theocracy. We must, we must expose these movements as part of the natural ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood. They may not claim themselves to be the brother. They would actively reject it because they realize religious parties and political platforms based in a religious dogma are not looked upon well in America. But compare them to the Islamic Republic parties of Iran or the Islamic State movements of Saudi Arabia, of ISIS, of the Muslim Brotherhood, and how the fulcrums of those movements, while some may be quite militant and barbaric, the fulcrum of it is an Islamic State identity, a commonality, whether it be jetpack, trying to educate and justice and influence policy based on being identified as Muslims or any other pack, be it in Florida or Illinois or Arizona or Texas. Read Salem's editorial. We don't need a memorandum from 1991 that I talked about with Clarion Project in our movie, our documentary, The Third Jihad. Yes, that memorandum, I believe, laid out their plan for civilizational jihad, the organizations that they would connect together to evangelize political Islamic policy in the West and influence global American policy and also help fund organizations like Hamas through Western activism fueled by petrodollars of petro-Islamic states from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and elsewhere. A lot of that continues. But we don't need that memorandum. Read this op-ed in the Washington Post. We Muslims should vote as a bloc. We Muslims should take on our own identity to vote together as 90% the same voting bloc. You know, listen. Many faiths bring together their ideas of their faith beliefs and say that this should inspire other Americans who share that faith to vote the same. But I don't see anywhere in state legislatures or in Congress canonic law playing a role. In fact, it's based in reason argument. I don't see a place globally of a unified conference of Christian nations trying to recreate Christian soldier movements as we saw at the time of the Crusades. So this moral equivalency of comparing evangelical activism, Jewish activism to Islamist activism is patently absurd. It is offensive because Islamism 
at the tip tip of the iceberg is radical Islamism, the the crimes, barbaric crimes of terror of ISIS from Nice to Chattanooga to San Bernardino. But that's the tip of the iceberg, the underbelly, the fulcrum. The central part of that movement is the creation of Islamic states and a future global caliphate. That is what we have to deconstruct. Those are the ideas we have to reform. Our Muslim reform movement has a two-page declaration that rejects all Islamic states, that rejects collectivization of Muslim parties, that rejects Sharia institutionalized, rejects tribalism, rejects misogyny. None of these ideas are embodied in what these deceptive camouflage Islamist movements like Jetpack Salem's article in the Washington Post and other activists' attempts to try to get Islamists. I don't care about Muslims being active in politics. I encourage that. But they, gosh darn, better be Muslims who openly reject Islamism. Because otherwise, they're about as useful to Americans as communists running for office, blatant socialists like Bernie Sanders running for office, any others that I believe hold ideas that are just un-American. And Bernie Sanders, sure, he considers himself a patriot, but socialism, economic socialism is un-American. We can have that debate. Nobody's trying to take away his freedom, but it is un-American. American individualism, freedom, and liberty was based in free markets. Bernie did not does not believe in that. In fact, he praised openly the Soviet Union. So Islamism is another ism of a collectivism that should get your radar up, that should make you concerned, and you should start to expose. Work with me here. Join me week to week in this podcast because we will together expose the Islamist ideas so you can pick it up from a mile away. When Congressman Ellison speaks, when Congressman Andre Carson speaks, you should you should sense immediately the Islamism from their pores. Not because they're Muslim, but because they come from an ideology that we Muslims are a race, we're a collective, we're a tribe, their platform won't sell here because they're a minority, but they use, as as Ellison raised money, I think, for over 40 different fundraisers for care, as he went to his Hajj, funded by the Muslim American Society, the secret network of the Brotherhood in America, as the Chicago Tribune mentioned. As he went there, it was part of Islamism, and I hope... Not only with these two segments today, but in the future, as we get to know one another, you will be able to pick up Islamism and help me fight it at every moment we can. This is Zudi Jasner. We'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. 
Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. Can you believe this president? He looked the other way when the Russians invaded U.S. ally Ukraine and stole their land. He brokered a deal that guaranteed that Russia's ally Iran will become a nuclear power. And this president even mocked the idea that Russia was our geopolitical foe. Wait a minute, that's not Trump. That was Obama. I wonder why the so-called press isn't reminding us of these things. The Chris Salcedo Show. Weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you and a lot to talk about uh, in the area of reform. You know, it's fascinating how many uh, different narratives can exist out there that can serve to teach us a lot about what we should be doing to keep our country safe. There's one of those wacky stories that is just too bizarre for real life to think that this isn't out of some terrorist movie about uh, ISIS or Homeland or, or some scene. But this week we heard that an FBI translator, an FBI translator who had come in from Germany that uh, was working to uh, root out various investigations, had a top secret clearance, went rogue. And she left town, took a leave of absence, and decided to marry one of the objects of her investigation. Who was that? Dennis Cuspert, also known as Dezodog, a.k.a. Abu Talha al-Almani. The German ISIS rapper. He was a German ex-rapper who once opened for popular rap artist DMX, and now is the star of ISIS propaganda videos. It turns out that we now know about this story. How? The FBI agent that committed an act of treason that apparently came back after realizing she had, quote-unquote, made a mistake in Syria after nearly dying there in the conditions of the civil war in Syria decided to escape, come back, was, I th- you would think, brought to justice by the FBI, but no, charged with a relatively minor offense, served two years, and now she is released. Her name is Daniela Green, 38. She fell in love with Dezo Dog, Abu Talha al-Almani, the rapper, and she ran away to Syria to marry him. She had been married here, lied to her husband. She was originally from the Czech Republic, moved to the United States at a young age. She had previously been married to a U.S. soldier, and she has a master's degree from Clemson. The FBI hired her in 2011, gave her a top-secret clearance, and then during her work, as I mentioned, she fell in love with this object of her desire. Now, before we get into more details of this unbelievably wacky story, what does this tell us about the need for reform? What does it tell us about security? Well, you know, for those of you who have been listening for many months now to my program, you'll know that one of the programs I talked about, security clearances, 
I've talked many times about our Muslim reform movement. That it can be, these ideas need to be a way to vet. That simply not belonging to terrorist groups, simply rejecting ISIS or Al-Qaeda or the Muslim Brotherhood even is not enough. That they need to embody, articulate and believe in secular systems. They need to reject the Islamic State. I'm ready to bet. And I've tried to talk to members of Congress. I've tried to talk to universities, media, others, and tell them, especially the members of Congress, I said, why don't we have hearings, hearings to discuss that security clearances need to be encumbered with an ideological vetting against Islamism, that that method can then be used as a template Just like in the Cold War, we vetted everything possible to make sure we weren't allowing communists or even socialist sympathizers in to the ranks of the Pentagon, State Department, or government in general. And we were still wrong. We still had those who ended up spying for the Soviets, and yet we had hundreds in the Beltway specialized on figuring out who carried these ideologies of Soviet communism over American freedom and liberty and democracy. And you're telling me we can't do that now? Do you actually believe somebody like Daniela Green, who comes on simply as a translator and probably versed in a lot of Islamic issues, that clearly individuals that have these expertises, like myself, that might, I speak Arabic fluently, I come from a family in Syria, I would be ripe for working for the FBI or for governmental agencies. So as long as I deny working or believing in a terrorist group, does that make me then qualified to get a top secret clearance? I don't think so. I would hope that the interview and interrogation process of passing through vetting mechanisms for the U.S. government would include queries about whether... Muslim-majority countries should have blasphemy laws. What should be the penalty according to what I believe is Islam? Not one in America, but what I believe in Islam should be the penalty for apostasy laws. Should it be death or any punishment? Or should apostasy just be private? And if it's public, then they get punished, which again is blasphemy laws. These things are not nuanced. Any individual that believes that you cannot or should not draw cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad should not even come close to a security clearance. Now you may feel they could lie about all this, but in an hour, hour and a half interrogation, there is no way to keep the anti-Islamist mantra intact if they are truly anti-Islamist. They will slip up and get into areas of misogyny, areas of honor, Areas of apologetics for theocratic law, Sharia state, statism, and a belief in blaming the West for much of the ills of Islamic identity. Which brings us back to Daniela Green. Her story is extremely important. She's now free. Can you believe that while the average sentence of ISIS adherence has been 13 and a half years, 
13 and a half years. For many of us prior military, we believe it should be life, if not death penalty for treason and adherence to one of America's most barbaric enemies since World War II. Somehow, Daniela gets off for two and a half years and now is out. Where is she? Let's have an interrogation publicly. Is she still Muslim? Is she not? Is she Islamist or not? How did she get to come back? We're stripping citizenships of Al-Qaeda operatives in foreign jails, and yet she comes back. Does she still have citizenship? I hope not after serving two and a half years. She said she was going on leave, lied to the federal government. There are people in prison for lying to the federal government on their immigration papers. She lied and took a one-way flight to Istanbul, not Germany, and was then smuggled into Syria. And she believe, and we believe, reports have, based on Fox News from Catherine Herridge, reports from CNN and Clarion Project that they... She must have coordinated in advance with ISIS officials. She also allegedly warned her future love, rapper El Almani, that he was being investigated by the FBI. She warned him that he was being investigated by the FBI. I'm not making this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. He was a foreign operative, foreign fighter for ISIS and he joined in 2012 after, and has since rather, appeared on numerous videos on behalf of ISIS, in which he holds a severed head and claims to belong to a man executed for opposing ISIS. Then she realized somehow she had a awakening from her stupor, and Daniela says, I'm gone, I can't come back, she wrote to a contact in Syria. I wouldn't even know how to make it through if I had tried to come back. Well, she had an arrest warrant out for her since August 1st, 2014, five weeks after she left for Syria. She then managed to come back on August 8th, where she was promptly arrested. She spent about a month in Syria. She spent two years in our prison and has since been let out. Now, do not, and you'll see the media, which actually has presented this story pretty factually, it seems, but they're not explaining the Islamists, the, the, what we see in many of these jihadi marriages, from San Bernardino to a lot of the couples. There was a review of a girl out of Alabama that had been radicalized, and BuzzFeed had a long report called girl gone in which they interviewed the reporter interviewed her in a prison in Syria and then she was released and she had joined ISIS and had been radicalized to go over there and the reporter spoke to her and talked about her story and her how her parents tried to prevent her from going but long story short is that 
the radicalization process of Islamism is about the afterlife. It's not about this life. They do things that are beyond horrific, that are barbaric to human beings because they dehumanize them because of the afterlife. And the relationships that get into the mind and the soul of these individuals is not only about God and the hereafter, but it is about brainwashing that the Islamist narrative is the only pathway. And at some point, they jump to shark and become rabid Islamists. But at all times that the, they have the sympathy for Islamism, the sympathy for the Islamic State and the loyalty of the global jihad, wherever they may be. So these passions are going to arouse other passions within their soul. And as they get closer to the Islamism of ISIS's hereafter, they also get closer to the subjects that then bring them into it. So it's not a surprise that this radical brought this woman in. You'll see this on a lot of jihadi websites. You'll see it in a lot of Islamist circles that they tie the institution of marriage to the institution of God and heaven and the state. It is a selfless, selfless identity which squashes individual identity in exchange for the collective. I hope we should be pressing the Bureau, the Homeland Security, to find out what are they doing now to vet individuals that are doing these cases or doing any cases for their security clearances. When we come back, we'll talk more about security clearance and then talk about a recent case regarding the Assad regime here in America. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. It's always great to be there. I hope... You're finding here a voice of freedom, of liberty, of a Muslim who's ready to take on these threats to be contrite and recognize that within the faith of Islam that obviously I love as my own faith is a deep, deep cancer, a problem of many who have adopted this faith and used it for supremacist ends, for theocracy and theocratic ends, that we have to treat that cancer in order to bring the West into better security against the threats that are posed by any and all Islamic states. Last segment, we were talking about Daniela Green, this FBI agent who went rogue, fell in love with the ISIS rapper, the video rapper who had become one of the faces of ISIS globally. 
there's a dog, Abu Talha al-Almani. And then she comes back to the U.S. and is arrested because she violated her oath. She violated her citizenship. She violated the agreement that she was under to not only keep America safe, but work to protect us, to lead this fight. And in fact, she became our greatest enemy. And in exchange, our government gives her a slap on the wrist and tells her, oh, you'll serve your sentence for just two years. I can't help but think back to Bergdahl. We don't even know what's happening to Bergdahl. Here's a guy that dumped his entire platoon and ended up endearing himself to the enemy. And President Obama hands back six vicious criminals in order to get our criminal back, our treasonous soldier back. Fine, I get it. We get our back. I don't believe we should have given him six enemies who are now going to end up, some of whom back on the battlefield, thanks to Qatar and whoever else we gave these Gitmo folks back to. But what about Bergdahl? How much of a sentence should he get for desertion, for treason? Many were thinking that President Obama might pardon him, and thank God he did not do that. But the army still is putting him through, hopefully, the full brunt of the UCMJ. I just, I don't feel that this Daniela Green got the full brunt of the FBI's laws, our laws against treason. I hope, though, moving forward, we start to have hearings and a public discussion about how we're going to prevent this from happening again. What are some mechanisms for understanding loyalty, for understanding whether our employees of Homeland Security, of State Department, Pentagon, and others in our military, whether they're starting to slip into adherence to the enemy, into a passion and love for the enemy and a hate for their own country. That's what we need to discuss. And if we're going to empower reformers, like I've talked about on the Muslim Reform Movement and what I'm trying to do here, we can help you develop vetting mechanisms and regular intervals for these agents. We know, for example, that they probably do undergo lie detector tests every, I don't know, three to five years. But I think if they're Specifically, if they're Muslim, if they're uh, um, vulnerable to sliding down the Islamist path, that's not profiling. This is about national security. And just like if you have previous drug addiction, if you have previous uh, proclivities that might put you at risk for vulnerabilities to being taken over by the enemy, your consciousness, your loyalty, your empathy, being hijacked by the enemy. We should not be embarrassed to say that, yes, people even like me, who are devout, loyal, patriotic Muslims, if you're going to work and have a top-secret clearance and work on active casework in volatile, in the most volatile areas like Syria, or with groups like refugees and others, I hope they are under greater scrutiny. Not to get their clearances taken away, but at least for scrutiny of recurrent and repeated vetting. That's not anti-Muslim. It doesn't violate the First Amendment. It's about national security because the threat is a political, a theopolitical threat. And just like in the Cold War, we were constantly watching 
for signs of slippage towards adherence to communist ideology, Soviet loyalty, and in which any of our officers might have been broken. And Daniela Green was broken. The rapper broke her, and we missed it. We found it after she had left, and the signs were the fact that she was on an airplane to Istanbul and then being smuggled into Syria. That's a little late. Who knows if she provided information that ISIS then used to hurt any of our troops and provide vulnerabilities. That is a disaster. More needs to be said publicly. Ask questions. Get out there and find out what we're doing to prevent this from happening again and what Muslims can do to target these ideas and any organizations and individuals that might feed into this radicalization. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about today is a story that Abha Shankar from the uh, investigative project reported about the fact that the Syrian genocidal dictator Bashar al-Assad, his regime in a federal court in Washington, D.C., was found liable for the deaths of three Americans killed by a terrorist organization that had been led by up. Abu Musab al-Zakawi, a Jordanian terrorist. It revealed that Zarqawi's organization, a precursor to ISIS, known as Al-Qaeda in Iraq, during the time Americans were killed in Iraq, Assad's regime supported the group directly by, among other things, providing them safe haven, weaponry, financial support, and even allowing them to open headquarters within Syria. The court ruled last month. Happened between 2002 and 2006. Yes, this preceded the civil war in Syria, in which started in 2011. ISIS didn't start until 2013. But this is what I've been telling you all along. If the Assad regime, which is now clearly, obviously, has been allied with Iran, with the Shia Hezbollah, with tens of thousands of fighters, but just like Hamas had its headquarters in Damascus, we knew that the radical Al-Qaeda had been released from prisons in Syria, had been facilitated, fueled, financed from Syria in order to kill Americans in Iraq. And now it's been proven in court. So are you telling me now that we prove this in court, we disconnect the connection of ISIS to the Assad regime, that somehow now in 2017, there's no connection between ISIS and Assad. He and Russia are with us in the war against ISIS. (laughs) That's a joke. If they truly were fighting ISIS, they would have put all of their focus against them, and they did not. They've fought against moderates, against, yes, some of the peri-militant rebels, but are decimating genocidally over half a million Syrians, 11 million displaced out of 21 million population. It's about a genocidal destruction of ethnic cleansing of the Sunni majority in Syria while they turn a blind eye to the radicalization of Muslims and 
especially allowing the creation of ISIS. There's been even evidence to show that just as the Russians are feeding the Taliban in Afghanistan to kill Americans, they are feeding ISIS to legitimize the power and the legitimacy of the military dictatorship Bashar al-Assad. So this ruling this week in a Washington federal court should dot the I's and cross the T's that there is a direct connection between radical al-Qaeda and Islamism in Syria and the Assad regime. Make no mistake. The American deaths that were avenged with this ruling hopefully will be part of the war crimes tribunal that will bring the Assad regime eventually to justice. This is not to minimize the evil of the ISIS radicals or the Jabhat al-Nusra radicals or the Hezbollah radicals or the Iranian Republican Guard radicals. All these Islamists are of the same fabric, two sides of the same evil Sunni Shia Islamist coin. All jihadists. But this ruling this week should vindicate anyone who questioned and laughed like Russian TV does at the connection between Assad and Sunni Islamism and Al-Qaeda in Syria. It's a direct connection. It's from the old, as I've said before, Arab Tyrant Manual 101. The Saudis say, oh, we're with you against Al-Qaeda. We will defeat ISIS. While they distribute books and build mosques and other things that fuel the Salafi jihadi ideologies of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. While they read schools of thought of Maliki Sharia interpretations that call for the death of apostates and the prevention of the building of churches and synagogues and many modern interpretations of the Qur'an, no different than ISIS. They call for the enslavement of women and the oppression of women, no different than ISIS. And then they claim they're with us against ISIS. They're not with us. Assad's not with us. They're all parts of two different sides of the jihadist coin. Well, it's been great joining you again this week. I hope you learned a little something this week about the threat, about what we need to do to solve the problem, cure the cancer, about how Islamism, political Islam, is thriving in America, and now they're frontally printing in the newspapers what they want to do in building a party apparatus of Muslims that vote in block. I hope you learned about the connection between the Syrian regime and Al-Qaeda and ISIS from 2002 to the 6, and how it probably continues today. And I hope you learned about how an FBI agent can all of a sudden go rogue, and that likely this is a teaching moment for the need to vet against Islamist adherence and how to do that with ideas. Not just terror group adherence, but ideas. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Thank you, thank you for joining me this week. We'll be back next week on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network.